0: Connectors of taste, sommeliers are more than experts at pairing great wine and food. Hear from the wine, beer, and spirit storytellers we entrust to guide us towards the discovery of things we never even knew we loved on The Sommelier Podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to The Sommelier Podcast. Today I'm joined by Alexandra Thomas, Head Sommelier and Wine Director at Adelina. Alexandra, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Finally, we get this podcast started.
1: I know. I, I, we were chatting so much before. We we're,
0: were chatting a little bit. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> but very interesting, very knowledgeable when it comes to wine, wine history, it's mean, history, but um, also quite the foodie. So where do we begin?
1: I don't know. I mean, like at the beginning. At the, at the very, <laughs> yes. very
0: beginning. Um, well, yeah, let's definitely uh, start there. You t- Tell us where originally you're from, because you're kind of a, a, a hybrid, half, a h- hybrid uh, Chicago suburb.
1: Chicago girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I still say I'm a Chicago girl. I know a lot of people in the city would probably cringe. I did not grow up in the <laughs> city. I grew up in a, a suburb uh, a little bit outside west here called Roselle. It's right next to a beautiful golf course called Medina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so basically I grew up there for most of all of my education. I went to a a Catholic middle school, grade school, like for the first 14 years of my life, but I also grew up half in rural Wisconsin. So central mm. Wisconsin and a little beautiful town called Green Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, it's pretty much has a population of less than 2000 people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's pretty
0: small. And who's, who's up there?
1: Um, so my family's had a house up there for a while okay. and my father's side of the family, um, my father grew up there as well. So oh, he, no way. yeah. So, you know, he always appreciated the outdoors and he always appreciated nature and, um, we grew up in a very uh, uh, so I would say grow up half sure. so all of summer all the entirety of summer and then every single weekend or any large break in between education and time we would be up there um, well,
0: many memories there. I know, yeah, many, right? many. Yeah, yeah. So
1: we grew up in the middle of the woods, uh, uh, an f- old schoolhouse, like potbelly stove. Um, oh, my nice. father would make me and my brother get out of the car when we got there, and he goes, go in the woods and get some pine cones because it had kindling. So yep, yep. literally, you're in the in the winter, right? So uh-huh. you're You're less than like 10 years old and you're going out and getting pine cones. We had a little like bin that we had to fill all the way. You know, this is the 90s. I know most people don't really have that upbringing. And my mother, she grew up in Iowa, in rural Iowa. So, you know, there's a lot of agriculture. There's a lot of nature in my upbringing, but also a lot of structure, a lot of education. And my parents wanted to make sure that I had the, the best education they could provide for me. And so that's why I went to a private school, and I had great education. But Chicago was always my home. I always identify Chicago as my home, and it always will be.
0: Um, Like you knew you were going to be here.
1: Uh, Yeah, I went to school out in Iowa for a while in the middle of Iowa, middle of everything, middle of nowhere, always. Uh, Ames, Iowa, Iowa State, go Cyclone. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you know, that's the middle of the heartland of America. That's a lot of farmers that, you know, were my friends. My roommates grew up on farms. So you always had a a talk about really agriculture. So you can see how the formulation is starting here. And I can talk about that a little bit more and uh, how I look at that. But Um, and then I was like, I want to be back in Chicago. I was working in wine, my first wine job out in Iowa and it was a wonderful, I worked for an Italian family. I, uh... They first restaurant in America. So you understand that there is like a very big cultural shift, a very big language barrier sometimes in working with strictly Italian wine. And I never had that opportunity before. So Italy is the largest, it's the widest, it's the most varietal. So like to be dropped into that deep end was crazy. Yeah. But even that foundation, I worked with the Master Sam, That was my first interaction with a sommelier. was in the middle of Iowa from a master like wow. 0 to 60 or 0 to 100 actually.
0: And just because you took an interest in wine? Like you just stepped into I've it? I've
1: been a bartender since I was very, very uh, young. <laughs> uh, I would say I different started... rules out there? Yeah, yeah, in rural areas, it's a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, I started really getting appreciation for the product that I was working with, with the beers and the and the spirits that I was working with. Why does whiskey taste this way? Why is bourbon like this? Why does stouts taste different than lagers? And, you know, mm. so I could actually talk to my customers at the time. I was very... Uh, in my... Infancy of bartending, so it was more of like a guest interaction, very quick. But uh, I started getting just more nerded out about it, and and then I worked in a wine bar, and I just so. Why does this smell different? My Wine was around all the time. My mom drank wine all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, Irish Catholic family, <laughs> you know, my dad drank whiskey and my mom drank wine. My grandfather and my grandmother drank scotch, you know, there, it was always around. So, you know, I started in a young age. Not saying that's a bad thing. I think that was a great thing because it's part of culture. Yeah. I mean, and you, and you have is. a bigger appreciation for it. I have a career
0: around that. Yeah, now. right, right. Um, so and, and it is glamorized. I mean, it
1: like, is. It, it is. But it was just normalized. Yeah. And it was just something of fact act of it to a point where we even joke about it. But, you know, after I got really into wine and I was wondering to my, my boss at the time who owned the wine uh, store I was in, he's like, you should go, you should start doing your levels. And I was like, what are you talking about? I had no idea about this world. I had no idea about whatever it was. And, um, And then I just knew I just needed to go back home because I know that's where it is. That's the hospitality Mecca of the country. That's Mm -hmm. Chicago. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be home for my family, too. I miss them so much. And my parents are not getting any younger. And I wanted to be around necessarily. So I actually took a year off and did whiskey in the West Loop at a very, um, like, very long time ago. There's really nothing around here. Google was not here yet. Nothing was developed. So, like, it was kind of like the first wave of the restaurant craze. Um, mm. You know, Girl and the Goat just kicked off. You wow. know? And it was all that stuff on Restaurant Row, on Randolph, yeah. that was kind of bleeding into our business. I was on Madison actually over okay. here. Okay. Um, right across where Monteverde is now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I handled like over, you know, two to three hundred different um, whiskeys from Scotches to Tennessee whiskey to bourbon. So it was really great, like rounding, right? Yeah. Um, But the master psalm that I actually worked with in Iowa got me in touch with um, a wine director in Chicago that really took an interest in me. And he is my Yoda, one of my Yodas, (laughs) as we talked about mentoring. Yeah. So that kind of really, his connection with that mentor of mine really catalyzed my career here in Chicago. And even to the upper echelons of fine dining, like to the Michelin level, um, I just never knew that world existed here in Chicago. And it just took step by step a good break here, a friend there, an opportunity here. But that's kind of the long, short of the long.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> hey, it's short, right? When you right? had to live it, right? You had to. Actually I know I did like to it
1: quantify it, it in that amount of time. It's just like, oh, was that that long? I don't. That didn't seem like that long.
0: But I mean, you're also what I what I love too is just the passion you have for it. Because even before, I mean, you were really getting into the history of it and even yeah. define. But I, I I love also the passion that you have behind wanting to one, really kind of define exactly what a Somali is and its history in, 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 in that regard, but also redefining it, right? Mm-hmm. Where you seem to be on this path to like yeah. kind of break the mold of what it is. And things are changing, right? Wine is Correct. the whole industry, the, the court of sommeliers like we talked about, yes. a lot of that. Um,
1: There's so much action happening right now. You know, it's such an old profession. Like I said, it is. It, it goes back to the serving of nobility and royalty and butlers you know that that upstairs downstairs and that's how far back it goes it's not just this new thing so with something with an institution of that old that grandeur with that level of clientele necessarily there are traditions that are still there and that are some foundational things but those traditions necessarily as time moves on and you know do those traditions serve the people who are actually dedicating their lives to that yeah. profession? There are people that dedicate their lives to wine, and the pursuit of wine, the pursuit of the knowledge of wine, the pursuit of the service of wine, it's ever-growing. It will never stop. Your pursuit will be endless. So it's kind of like this magnificent thing that we all really—it we it engulfs our lives. We taste when we're not at work. We're tasting when we're at work. We're talking about wine when we're not at work. It's just, it's something you have to like really live and breathe to really get to really understand and to really have that passion for it. You know, some people pursue wine as a knowledge pursuit. You know, a lot of people in COVID got into those master classes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they just wanted to learn a little about wine. And I'm super stoked when people tell me that because I'm like, great. Then I don't have to explain everything down to the minus per minute, but you have some type of knowledge. And I think that people gained an interest in it and it really catalyzed a lot of newcomers into the sommelier profession. But it also questioned, how are we doing this? Why can't we do it better? Why can't we make this more accessible for everyone? And why can't we be more welcoming? It is a, a mysterious profession. Not a lot of people see it. And... They have so many questions. Where did you learn this? Mm -hmm. Where where did you go to school to do this? And they're like, oh, I'm going to go my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) It's very independent for the most part. You're very alone. We kind of talk about psalms as uh, they're kind of like sharks. They kind of like are in the water alone. They're in their own little wine programs by themselves. We all know that we're all out there, but we don't like really run in huge packs. There's not really many places in the city that have teams of psalms. So... There's a lot of that no, like, isolation. T-shirts. Oh my god, there's so many. T- <laughs> the tasting groups. Now those are the elite ones. Yeah. Those are the tasting groups you want invitations okay. to. Okay, so All they're right. they're out there. All so right. to get into a tasting group is kind of like, ooh, I got invited to like this elite thing. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, but some people. Are, it, That's the other problem of it. It's elite. Right. People look at it scary sometimes because... Well,
0: when you see expensive bottles, right? I mean, that that can freak anybody out. Uh, It freaks me out all the time.
1: (laughs) It freaks me out all the time, the amount of, uh, you know, price that people will pay for wine. And some people ask me, they don't understand it. And that's a deep cut level that, you know, you try to like really convey to people it's history, it's time in a bottle, it's an um, artistic expression. How do you quantify and put on a price the perfect season, the perfect vintage, the perfect aging, right? There are bottles of wine that live in the Smithsonian. And it's for those specific reasons that they are just so magnificent. They are a capsule of time for some individuals. What like do, what's the, the price of that?
0: Right, right. No, and I've, um, it just, I don't know why it reminded me of like the the, the shipwreck that they found. Uh, the Titanic. Like, right. Was it the Titanic? Yeah, they,
1: it... they had a bunch of champagne. Was that what it that was? That was still intact. Yes. Yeah. And they drugged it up and like it went for, I think it was, it was Sotheby's or you know crazy. England yeah. crazy amounts of money like millions and millions that are preserved yeah so but there's many other like we can go on a tangent right, so, there's many right. producers that are actually doing that on now, the coast of like California California, California yeah, Italy and Croatia were already doing it the Mediterranean Greece was already, doing, already it.
0: doing it they already doing it oh
1: god yeah they, oh be, no way I mean the Mediterranean is the birthplace we've already been doing all that stuff they've already been doing hundreds and thousands of years already yeah. interesting
0: I know right wow there's
1: a great there's so much history in it and that's like Kind of like the great aspect of wine is that it's not just what's the liquid in there. It's about where it came from and right. the, the culture around it and the historical aspect of it. And was it a mountain? Was it a crater? Was it a river? What is it? You know, it's time. There's a lot of stuff that many people can find interest in wine, and so I feel like that's the beauty of it. There's so much that goes into it, but that's why it makes it so much. It's this pursuit that's never ending.
0: Well, it's and it was so interesting when we, when we got on the mics how you said that were mostly, uh, you know, introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts, yeah. right? That, uh, and, and I was just saying, well, no, you know, an introvert is someone that just gathers their, their energy from being alone, right? Or, or, or away from people in that regard. But it is a very unique uh, um, profession in that on one end, it's very technical, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it is all technical yes. to, to get to that point of your qualification. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, it's not to sit idle with that you know, technical knowledge, but to share it, yes. right? And to be a, a counselor, an advisor, right? Someone who's there to not only um, understand your palate, right? Mm-hmm. So to be relatable to and, and understand that, but also to then kind of take you on a journey of what that is, right? That you're going to be consuming yes. as, as a storyteller. It's
1: right? it's very, you know, a lot of people talk about it. It's very difficult. It is a very technical profession. There's so much knowledge that you have to know and recite Regurgitate, if you really want to call it that, you know, varietal percentages, what is the altitude of this DOC, what is, you know, all of this very technical, studious things. But, you know, sometimes brilliant Psalms, brilliant Psalms cannot teach. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and right, nothing right.
1: against them, because their mind might not work that way. Right, right. How do you relate and 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 explain your palate? Yep. How do you ex- how do you interpret somebody else's palate? Yep. And how do you make them understand their palate? So you really do have to teach and be patient and be kind. A lot of psalms are very impatient, and not in the most kind because they're thinking on a process level it's like you know like great mathematicians they don't have time to teach you algebra but you know some of the greats can teach you algebra in a way that you can understand it that's the technical versus the personal the mentoring and talking to guests and just being kind with where they are in their wine journey what kind of knowledge do they have but also just being excited for them no matter where Mm -hmm. they are in there because you're trying to encourage because I feel like the wine industry is just so narrowed because we don't know much about it because we don't, as a culture, embrace it as we do as the rest of Europe might do. So it's always been this mysterious thing, this luxury thing, this something we've never learned about, you know? So I think psalms and the new kind of what we've been trying to do as sommeliers is be more approachable, to really listen to our guests, to really... Listen to their palate, not to push certain products, not to push certain prices, but to push a palate and cultivate that within our guests so that they come back and they go, hey, guess what? I went out and I tried that wine you told me about and I loved it and I'm coming back and I want you to tell me about another one. That is the beauty of the job, not the prestige, not the money, not the cool accolades. Like, yeah, those are things that make you admire the profession but it doesn't really catalyze your passion, really. Mm, yeah. It it makes you get very weathered on the floor, if you want to call it. There's, We talk about in the industry having dog ears. Well, I'm young, quote, quote, as a young 30-year-old, but I've been in this industry half my life, <laughs> <Right>? half my <laughs> life. Right?
0: It's and insane. it's
1: in, it's not a 9 to 5. It's right. not you clock in and out. I work on my days off, and I work 10-hour-plus days. And so you work holidays, and you work weekends, and you work you know, 10 day stretches, 15 day stretches, two, two weeks long. People work that long. You're on your feet. It's dog ears,
0: man. It's a lot of data too.
1: It's a lot of information. Yeah.
0: It's a lot of information, a lot of uh, relationships. Um,
1: yeah. You have to be somebody different for every single guest. For, for, yeah, for, you have and, to pivot. Yeah. pivot is the biggest thing, you're a different person every table you go to.
0: So talk to me about a little about the community, cause I know that, you know, we, we touched on it earlier, but you know, it, like what is your hope for that in, in terms of being able to see a community through this of others that, um, are doing what you do, but also as a way to really promote, um, promote the industry. Cause that's something that I feel like, you know, chefs have a lot of, yeah. right. The I mean, Chicago is known as a culinary city, yeah. but, um, man, do we like to drink wine too? Yeah. Right? So it's not like they're not, no one's drinking it. It's just that people don't know what they're drinking. Correct. Right. And, and I think there's no appreciation for that. Yeah. Like, um, so yeah. So, The community part.
1: Yeah. So I think, like, to say, like, why, you know, certain aspects of the industry, professions get more highlighted than the others, you know. Uh, Chefs are, like, this really cool, like, culinary thing. And it really exploded with all this new reality TV and, you know, everything. But, you know, also just, like, critics, you know, that also wrote about these masters and the James Beard Awards bringing attention to these amazing people. But, you know, they also bring attention to beverage and hospitality individuals like wine as well. But there's just not enough. You know, if you really ask anybody that's like a foodie, if you want to say... Who are your favorite psalms in Chicago? Right, right. Can you, they name you? Right. I think they can tell you one very famous person, of right. course, Alpana. Right. Um, but you know but she had a TV show. I mean, yeah, but she like, was in. The, she was promoting herself. Yeah. Like she is definitely what I look at as a as as like the 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 template of what we should be constantly trying to do. And there is a little bit of a jadedness that you know. At Psalms, you try to be humble. You know, you try to <laughs> try to be humble within your position because it is still service. We kind right. of live and breathe that, so you don't try to brag or try to boast, but. It is the, one of the most egotistical positions besides a chef in the restaurant is a psalm. <laughs> I love all my psalms friends. I, we all have little egos. But you but, need
0: to have that sense of ego or confidence, no, whatever you want to call but it. But we so. all,
1: have, if you ignore it, you're not really bringing it to a, there can be a, a positive light in this. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like now that we have so many more people getting interested in wine and really many different platforms like TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that there's a lot more people pushing information of wine to be approachable in yeah. bite-sized wines. the largest drinking kind of generation next to the boomers is millennials yeah. and in the gen x we'd you know that's coming up up the way you know millennials haven't had enough time to gain enough money to get really those big bottles that the boomers really pay for but you know the, again that culture about affording wine affording good wine That's starting to be debunked. Like Psalms, I have been preaching this all the time. We need to, like, start really being transparent with our our profession that it's not all glamour. That it's, you know, we drive a 94 Toyota Corolla <laughs> when we serve you all well that $30,000 bottle of First Growth Bordeaux.
0: Which needs to change, by the way.
1: It, it's, you know, it's, for, a, may, it's, may a, it's a, a bigger discussion. Another, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge, a huge That's a huge thing because that's a multi-layered, no, multi-billion, sure, sure. But huge, there is a problem
0: with that, though. It is, there but, There is you a know, problem that you're like... It, brokering this,
1: I think it's a huge thing because when you have such a longevity of an institution like the restaurant industry in the United States, but and in the world exactly, yeah. it's like how do you change something that has been some way this way no, for so it. long? But, but it's just
0: it's a luxury It's like it's it like is. it's a sip. Like it's it's still, I mean, whatever. It I don't want to get it like. Too far. No, ahead. but like, we you think about
1: saying. it. The most expensive wine in the world or claims to be the DRC Domoni Romanique. I don't speak French, I don't wanna mm-hmm. say it because I don't know if no, my no, sound sure. friends will judge me here. Okay. <laughs> so we call it DRC, but you know, a berry, one berry of that is like Five, $100, $5, $50. How
0: Just how much do you need? Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how
1: much do you need to crush into a bottle of wine? I know yeah. my friend probably could quote that for me that has it's studied like, that. I like have a, not.
0: Like a, the modern, how many licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Yeah, one <laughs> glass
1: of wine could it easily be $300, <laughs> like five ounces, $300. Wow. Wow. But that's like... Art. It right. is the most monetized thing next in degree of art. We talk oh, about right. how yeah. it's the most stolen thing next to. Mu- I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about museum right, art. Right, 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 right. Right. We're talking about auctions of wines, the Thomas Jefferson bottles that were frauded. You know. Right, right. What? Well, it's so crazy. It's crazy. But you know, I think what you're talking about the culture of psalms and bringing to light the movies psalms brought to light yep, that yep. people it exploded. A really a a culture of people wanting to learn a little bit more about wine and you know that was one catalyst that I experienced I got so jazzed when I was in my infancy of wine learning that I saw this movie and I go these are people like me because when I was out in Iowa I was the only one.
0: Yeah and the extremism of it right? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so on that note what is the vision for you the future what uh, what can we expect from the Alexandra brand?
1: I don't know I mean like I've gotten this far because you know I didn't think that I was gonna be a Psalm. I didn't dream of being a Psalm. Like that's not what I was a kid and they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? A Psalm. No, that wasn't me. But and I didn't even get a degree in this, you know? But I think I just listened to what I wanted to do and see where this organic movement of my love of wine goes and takes me. Sometimes it takes me to something that I know that I want. And I think really what I've been striving for is what I love in the past couple years is is I love teaching people. Mm. I love seeing the eyes and wonder of people's discovery of wine and capturing that. And I think a lot of people really, really think that when they teach anything, you know, they love the excitement because that's what really made you excited about the topic too, that you can share that excitement. And sometimes sharing that or mentoring somebody to have that, like I had a mentor did that for me, really sparks and ignites a passion that you never knew that you had in the first place. And it makes you enjoy your job so much more. And it makes you really enjoy the journey that you're on. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, why do this in this industry if you don't love it? Yeah, You're spending more time here than you do with your own family. You have to love it. Yep. And if you don't love it, you're not going to last. Yep. And, you know, I think... You know, I love it. We talk about it all the time. It's and our our hobbies are going to see things. But you know, for me, I I want to stay in wine and I want to be with people and make them see what I see with wine and make them know that there's a place for them, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter how they talk about wine. Too, there's a place in wine for you. And we should embrace them and we should really cultivate them and we should really champion them just the way that I was championed or anybody else was championed by someone that you can just pinpoint as your Yoda, as your mentor, as your you know, your guide, you know. I think that wonder, I had that privilege and I want to give that opportunity to other people. So I feel like that's kind of where my gut is leading. I want That's what I love doing on the floor every single day when I'm at work is really making people discover something they never knew they could just love. And I think that's really the passion in the industry is just opening people's eyes to something they never knew they were going to love in the first place.
0: Love that. I think it's even in our monologue, so... Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing. that uh, very well said. And, um, you know, if people want to support you, follow you... Uh, just learn more. I'm sure they can go to Adeline and make a reservation. Yeah, I'm but... there all the time. <laughs>
1: Literally, I'm pretty much there every single day. So you'll run into me
0: for sure. But you're also online, right? Instagram. Yeah,
1: um, I have an Instagram. I'm um I'm also not super technically awesome, so I I, I have an Instagram, but you know
0: we'll, we'll get there. We'll get <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. How how can people find you on there?
1: Uh, my handle is Altoma A L T H O M A.
0: There you go. Well, thank you so much. Evan. I appreciate you for coming in and. Yeah, just uh, what a cool story, and I can't wait to hear more about it.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.